0: Lieutenant Joe Pangaro. I've been a cop for 27 years. I like to say I got a backstage pass to life. Well, guess what? I got some tickets for you. So come on in, pull up a chair, turn up that volume, and let's go. Chasing Justice is on. Good afternoon, my friends. This is Chasing Justice, and I'm your host, Lieutenant Joe Pangaro. Well, what are we going to talk about today? Well, we could go on and on about politics, and we might cover some of that. But I think. I've had a revelation. I've had a revelation I'd like to share with you. You know, it's no it's no uh, secret that I am on a mission to understand not my place as Joe Pangaro in the universe, but our place as people, as, as creatures, as living beings in this universe. And I've also spoken many times in the past about my fascination with the stars and uh, the universe and the size of it. And I, I've pondered on that a lot because it's it's almost incomprehensible for us to understand the size of this universe. And one of the things I've said in the past about this is that we because we can't comprehend the size, and the size is immense. There's there's no question about it. The size of the universe is is so big that it's it's something you can't put into perspective. See, I'm even struggling with it now, trying to figure out exactly how I'm going to put these things together. But here's what happened. Because I have been thinking about the reality of, is there life? You know, we hear into the UFOs, you know, and now the government's coming out saying, yeah, there's some things we really can't understand. And here's videos of these ships. And we can make jokes about that. And, you know, we can, we can laugh about them. Or we can take it seriously. Some people take it too seriously. You know, you look on any of the streaming uh, systems and you want to see a program on these navy videos of these ships that they can't identify they always show you those two or three clips uh, but they never zoom in on it how come the cameras are never any good Uh, but at the same time then you got 47,000 programs about you know people and and there's never there's never any definitive proof there's not even any any good uh, pictures or or things. But there are a lot of really quality people who have seen something. And I count myself in that also. Um, and, I, and I've and i told this story before. Um, we saw Kathleen and I and my son, Jack, who's a genius, and my daughter, Marisa, who is equally a genius. We were at the dinner uh, in February. Now, here in the Northeast, it gets very cold in February. But you also have some very still crystal clear nights where you can see lots of stars, even with all the light pollution. And we were at a restaurant up by the ocean, up by the beach here where we live. And we came out of the restaurant. Me and Jack came out probably two or three minutes earlier than my wife and Marisa because Kathleen will talk to, to, you know, she'll see somebody she knows and she'll have a continuing conversation with them and go on and on. And Jack and I stepped outside to get the car, warm it up, you know, do that kind of thing. And I was looking and it was still, and it was quiet, and I looked towards the ocean. Now, you can't see the ocean from the restaurant, but you're only about, I'm going to say, at the most, a half a mile from the waves, Uh, but there's houses there, and this and that, and the stars were out, and they were, it was just absolutely a beautiful winter night, you know, and I'm looking towards the beach, and I saw three lights, now, that's what always said. I see three lights. I saw lights up in there. I saw three lights. And it was. It seemed to me that they were moving towards me. So I initially thought that they were helicopters because they were moving against the background. And I said, well, okay, there's three helicopters. Now, we have a military base not far from us, you know, 25, 30 miles away. And we do see military aircraft up above, uh, you know, transport planes, things like that. We see them uh, flying high to get down to that base. And I'm saying, oh, it must be helicopters, you know, because they were coming towards me. I could tell they were coming towards me and they were pretty far away, at least at least a half a mile or so away. But they were, they were bright white lights, as I remember. They were white. Um, from my impression, they were circular, um, but they weren't as big like, uh, as the sun, nothing like that. They were just bigger than the stars that were behind them. That's how I could differentiate them. And as I'm watching this, I'm, I'm saying, oh, this is cool. A couple, you know, three helicopters coming in. Gee, I wonder where they're coming in off the water. I wonder what they were doing out there. Maybe it was Coast Guard Rescue, something like that. And as I'm looking at it, I start to realize that the three lights are not moving independently of each other. The three lights are moving uh, as though it's rigid, Uh, three lights you know what I'm saying like you would expect helicopters would would move up and down on the air breezes and there'd be three of them so you'd see a little bit of movement between them there was nothing and I'm looking at this and I said hey Jack look at this Uh, look at this you think these are helicopters and he looks over and I'm gonna say uh, with my my statement that the the ocean is about a half a mile away from where we were maybe a little bit less uh, but I'm gonna say half a mile that as we're looking at this thing, both of us are standing quietly looking at the lights, and then I noticed, because they were not moving independently, and there, there was a gigantic black triangle, and it was coming towards us. And I said, Jack, do you see that? And he goes, Yeah, that's a big black triangle. Now at the time, this you know, how old was Jack? He's he's. 19 now, so he probably, probably was 13 or 14. He goes, yeah, that's a big black triangle. Now, I didn't say big black triangle to him. He looked at it, and that's what he saw. I said, that's amazing. And as it got closer and closer, it appeared to probably come to almost to the shore, to the shore where, the, um, where the, you know, the sand meets the water. That was my impression of where it was, and it was absolutely silent. And it stopped coming towards me and then started moving north. Like, it stopped and I I don't want to say hovered, but it stopped absolutely silent on this silent, crystal clear night. I couldn't hear anything. And then when it started moving north, I knew that it was moving north because I could see stars behind it. And as it moved, the triangle blocked out those stars, and then they reappeared at the other side of the triangle. With that, Kathleen and my daughter came out, and I said, hey, I was very excited because I, I didn't know what I was seeing. I was seeing something that was completely unusual, and, and I'm not, you know, I'm not a nutty person, but I, this is what I see in front of my face, this gigantic black triangle with three lights on it, and now it's moving north. Well, Kathleen comes out, and I said, come here, come here, look at this, look at this, look at this. And she's looking up she's going what what am i looking at what i said what look at that it's a giant black triangle well with that she's kind of looking up at it and she goes it is that's that's a giant black triangle i said listen it's not making a sound you hear see those lights she goes yeah what is that so my even my daughter she's going dad what is that thing i have no idea well it starts moving north and and as it moved it went out of our view because there were houses and stuff, uh, you know, trees and things in our, in our fore area where we were by the restaurant. So we ran around to the back of the restaurant and between the trees, you could see this thing still half a mile away, silent as could be, moving to the north, just moving to the north and we, then we lost track of it. Well, we, we were all kind of taken aback because we had just seen something weird um, I, I know, I'll know a little bit about aircraft and it was nothing I had ever seen. And it was crystal clear to all of us independently. We saw a large, gigantic black triangle. So we left there and we actually went to our friend's house, you know, Jim, the contrarian, uh, Giordano. We went to his house and we were kind of all buzzing that we had just seen this thing. And Jim's listening and he's he, he goes, well, do you know the, uh, the number one, uh, UFO that's seen in the world across the whole world is the giant black triangle. I had no idea. You know, I wasn't much of a ufologist. Uh, I had always, you know, joked with the idea about UFOs and whatnot. And I said, really, are you kidding? He goes, no, look it up, man. Uh, All around the world, people see a giant uh, black triangle. I said, well, we just saw one. I mean, I just saw one. I don't know what it was, but we saw one. So that has really helped my fascination. When they came out in the last couple of years, the government released the videos from I think 2002 through 2014 or 15 of our military pilots with the cameras on their jets following these uh, unknown aerial aircraft or whatever they call them. And you can, see there, you can see there's a shape to them. Like, you know, there's a shape, I don't wanna say saucer, but there's a shape. It looks like there's, there's a, some of the fuselages above and below. And these things are moving extremely quickly. Then they showed other videos of of them following these things with their jets. And then they they dive into the ocean. And you are saying, what the hell is this stuff? Could it be possible? Now, I say knowing that we don't know a lot about the the universe. We know what we know. Um, You know, there's still many of us who think we're the only things here. And, And I've often said that because of the size of the universe... Um, I would think that it would be impossible for us to be the only uh, living creatures in this gigantic universe. Now, it could be microbes on a planet somewhere. Uh, there could be dinosaurs. You know, if somebody came here 65 million years ago, they wouldn't have found people. They would have found these gigantic reptilian dinosaurs that chew each other apart. And it, was, it, it would have been like a scene out of a movie if they came here. And that was real. That was what our planet was. Or they could be highly advanced. So with those thoughts in mind, I am in church on Sunday. Now you say, Lieutenant Joe, where is this going? Aliens to, to God. Well, here's kind of the revelation that I started having. As I'm thinking about, and I'm listening to, uh, to the priest, Father Bob, and he's, uh, he's given his homily about drawing closer to Jesus and getting closer to God and, and not looking at scripture through my eyes and what I wanted to say, but listening to the actual word of God that's in the scripture, if you believe that, and I do, and I started to say, it seems to me that it feels like we're supposed to rotate around, like God is the center, Jesus is the center, and we're rotating around trying to get closer and closer, we're drawn to him right? We're drawn. Those with religious beliefs are drawn to God. They're pulled in closer um, to, to God. And then as I'm listening to this, suddenly I start to see the universe in my head. Now these are thoughts, right? I'm not actually seeing seeing the universe on the wall. Um, I, I recounted a vision I had one time in church, but this was not that. This was a thought because my thoughts, you know, you sit there when you're listening to the homily it, in, it increases your, your thoughts and, and you start thinking about what the priest is saying and what it could mean and we're trying, and we're, he's, a good, he's a good priest, Father Bob. He's actually trying to teach as opposed to just rereading, you know, the, the readings we just did and, I, you know, priests sometimes do that. What we just read was, well, we just read it. Tell us about it. So anyway, so I'm, I'm thinking about this, this God-Jesus center and we are circling around him trying to get closer and closer to understand who we are, what we're doing here and then the understanding for me of the, of the, the strangity, the, the odd, oddity of of even life itself. And then I started thinking about space, and I started thinking about the galaxies, and our Milky Way, and our solar system, and what is one thing that all of these celestial bodies do? They circle around, don't they? They circle around. They're drawn to something in the middle. Now, follow me here. They're drawn to something in the middle. The moon circles the earth, drawn to the earth. The earth circles the sun. The sun goes around the Milky Way center, all drawn to that center. When we see all the the gas that makes up the stars and the rocks and, and, you know, the hydrogen gas and and all this stuff, these giant clouds, Do you ever see the pillars of creation Clouds of gas making stars that are trillions of miles long. We can't even comprehend how big it is and it's a little blip when you look up at the sky. But all of that, all of that gas starts to circle around the center. See where I'm going here? So as I I started to think about that, I'm going, okay, now everything circles around, now let's go to the small. We know the big circles. The big spins around in circles, trying to get closer to the center. We're spinning around trying to get closer to God at the center. And then I said, well, what about on a tiny level, a very small, tiny level? Aren't our cells made up of exactly the same things? Don't we have like a nucleus and then we have these protons and, and these other things spinning around each and every one of our individual molecular cells in our body? So the pattern is repeated over and over and over again in all living things, and in the things of space, the things of the universe. So, what is it that they say in church? Now, for those those who don't go to church, uh, I suggest you try it. It's actually a very good thing. Uh, it's because it makes you think deeper, right? What do they say in church? Since I'm a kid. Um, and, and I'm trying to put it together with, with this revelation, I'm having all this this circling spinning right down to the cells of our body and we're all spinning around around God, is that this is the image and likeness. We are made in the image and likeness of God is what we're told. And if if you think about that, everything has that same circling around effect. Now, that's a little abstract, but I think... To be intellectual, you have to think abstract abstract sometimes and then compare it to reality and look at what's really out there. Look at what evidence is in front of you, right? So you can be spiritual and you can have faith, but you can also look at the rocks and the stars and the gas that's out there and what is it doing? It's all potential. It's all potential, isn't it? Those pillars of creation, those clouds of gas that start to condense on themselves and then they spin and it creates, it, it condenses so deep that it, it creates a star which ignites into life. If we're to believe science, you know, follow the science, if we're to believe science, all of the, the modern era of life began with the Big Bang, which was what? A total compression of, of all this matter into a point that's so finite that it finally explodes and everything that we can see across the universe, including ourselves, came out of that explosion. So when I hear people say, you know uh, maybe we're living maybe we're living in a matrix, maybe we're living in uh, in the mind of someone, I say maybe this is the um, the realization of the mind of God that we're seeing right in front of us from the very cells in your fingertips to the gigantic galaxies that are out there. they're all spinning. It's all potential, right? Potential to create new stars, to create new life, to create new things. And as we see that, we say, maybe that's the connection. Maybe that is the connection to all of the universe. And I got that listening to, uh, listening to the priest. And he was talking about that. And it kind of made sense to me. So I'm saying, wow, um, is that a big revelation? Or is that just more things to think about now? And that's what I wanted to kind of throw out there. Because wh- where do we come from? Who are we? What are we? Living on this rock, there's revelation now that there are vehicles or something that are not from this world. Well, where do they come from? How'd they get here? You know, uh, is it such an, and I believe there could be certainly very advanced life uh, out there and there can also be very, very uh, non-advanced life. You know, microbes that are just starting somewhere. I wanted to touch base with you on that and just tell you about that uh, experience that I had and how all these things start to come together. And this is where you start to form opinions and thoughts about things. And that's what I like to do. And I like to share it with you, my friends here. Okay. So thanks for letting me uh, pontificate on that Uh, star stuff in God. You know, I see an absolute connection to our minds, our thought, our bodies, we're all part of this universe, and it all comes from something. To say things just happened on their own does not answer where all this stuff came from. So thanks. All right. The next thing I wanted to look at is the attacks on our traditions. Now, we, we mention it once in a while. I talk about it once in a while. You know, the attacks on our traditions are really bad for all of us. And I think I started making that case a few episodes ago when I talked about how uh, removing God uh, from, from our lives is one attack on our traditions. Um, this is not a religious show today, but uh, it just so happens that God is central to lots of things, to people's thoughts, their lives, faith world. Uh, it has been for time immemorial. There's always been that connection to something bigger than us, uh, and it, it expresses itself in the form of religion. This this feeling that there's something there's got to be something more, except for those who were way way smarter than all of us, and they know there's nothing that that the universe just popped into existence by accident. Um, but attacking our traditions, there's a purpose for that. Now it doesn't matter the time of year here, let, you know. Here, let's look in America, and then we can talk about the world in general. One of the things that impedes ty- uh, tyrants and totalitarianists. One of the things that impedes them are people having um, traditions, beliefs, and faiths that the, the tyrant cannot get in between, right? So that prevents uh, having total control. So that's why we see in a lot of these communist countries, they outlaw religion because they want to take that away because that stands between people and their tyrannical government because you have a God. Uh, even going back to the time of Jesus, You know, uh, he was talking about the, you know, the government, give them what they want, but give to God what God wants, right? Keep that separation. And people who have suffered, people who have suffered um, often rely on their faith to uh, provide them with a buffer to the suffering, right? They may be dying of a very painful cancer, but they have a faith that there's something more and that helps to ease the pain. Uh, whether it's physically or psychologically, into thinking that there's something more. And if you have a tyrannical government, they want to get in between that. You should count on the state. That's what you should worry about. That's because there's, there's, there is no God. Well, that kind of Marxist thinking, socialist, communist thinking, is we, we could see it right in front of our, our, our lives every single day. We see it every single day right in front of our eyes. Trying to remove what was it, uh, fifteen twenty years ago? It really, the big push started on anti-Christmas, right? Anti-Christmas. Uh, this Christmas is is terrible. Uh, we shouldn't say Christmas. We say Happy Holidays because you'll offend people who don't celebrate Christmas. You know, I, I, I was going to tweet something out today, and then I thought better of. But uh, but I think I'll express it here. Nobody wants to hear ugly things about themselves. Nobody wants other people to make fun of you. Nobody wants anyone to say something painful to you. No, nobody does. Uh, and that's a terrible thing when that does happen to you or to someone else, or if you do it to someone. It's bad. That's all bad. We, we shouldn't be running around hurting each other. Um, we should be running around helping each other. Now, we know there's a whole different way of looking at the world. There's different lifestyles and everything. Let everybody live. Do, do your thing. It's when it impinges on other people. When my ideals are shoved onto you, that's when it's not right. I can have all the opinions I want, live the life I want. But when I start making you have to accept and do the things that I say and do, that's when it's not right. So when I when I look at this and I say, attacking Christmas those many years ago was one way to attack religion, right? They're attacking religion by attacking the Christmas holiday because you, you're going to offend someone. So the, the thing I was going to post was, an old saying from when I was a kid, sticks and stones can break my bones, but words can never hurt me. Now, the reality of that is, and, and break that down, you know, old sayings are here for a reason. So, sticks and stones, things that people used to use as weapons, can break your bones. Yes, they can. If I hit you with a stick or a stone or you hit me, you could break my bones. But words can never hurt me. Now, let's, let's, Let's break that into two things. First of all, words can be emotionally painful. You know, uh, there's, no, there's no doubt that I am follically challenged. Um, not as much as my father was. My poor father went uh, bald as an egg at 18, as they say in the Aerosmith song in Mama Kin. But, you know, I didn't start losing my hair till I was 35 or 36. And I still have hair on my head. You know, I'm not, I'm not a completely bald guy, although it, it does look pretty thin. But I, when I first started doing that, that was embarrassing. It felt weird. I didn't want people to point out that, uh, you know, making bold jokes. That was uncomfortable. But did it really hurt me? It hurt me emotionally. But you know what? It was a reality and I got over it. And no big deal. Now, it, you know, it don't matter at this point. I think I'm a fine, handsome man just the way I am with my bald head and all. But the reality is that that saying, sticks and stones can break my bones, but words can never hurt me. What they mean there, and I believe, this is what I believe, is that, yes, there are real things people can do to you. If they use words, they can feel bad. It can feel uncomfortable. But you have to be resilient and get over that. Otherwise, you are now um, you are now uh, uh, stuck in a situation where every word, and we are all about communication, aren't we? Don't we communicate as human beings all the time, all day long, 24-7? Uh, that's what social media is more communication if we allow the words that people say to hurt us and offend us so bad that we can't function in life we can't just we just can't live our lives because people said something about us then we are destined to be stuck in a position of weakness as opposed to being resilient sticks and stones can break my bones but words can never hurt me. Now, I would be the first person to tell you, don't say bad things to people. Don't make fun of people. Don't pick on people's uh, lifestyles. Don't pick on people's traits they can't do nothing about. We should all find ways to get along. But the reality is, if somebody does come along and say something negative to you, you have to be resilient and either make a case as to why they're wrong, or you have to learn to accept it and deal with it. It's just words. It can't really hurt you. You know, somebody comes up, hey, Lieutenant Joe, you're a bald guy, man. That means you can't do anything. Well, that's not fun for me to hear because I'd rather have a big head of flowing hair. But it doesn't really hurt me because I really can do things. I do lots of things. I'm very accomplished and I've been very successful, even without a head of hair. So while it may be hurtful to me to hear it, it doesn't really hurt me. I have to be resilient and get past it and shame on people who say negative things to other people so you kind of get where i'm going here with this this attack on our uh our our traditions is a way to get between us our faith our community our friends and all those things and allow the government to take its place we'll be back in a minute i got more to talk about here on chasing justice
1: Visit genesisfogger.com forward slash out loud for a free ebook on everything you need to know about HOCL and receive a 15% discount on the Genesis Fogger with promo code OUTLOUD. With Genesis, you'll be ready for what's next. Take back your sleep. Go to HealthyCell.com and use limited time code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free. Love it or your money back. Guaranteed. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD. HealthyCell.com.
0: Code OUTLOUD. Welcome back, my friends, to the show that never ends. Chasing justice here on the America Out Loud Radio Network. Now... We were talking about the attack on our traditions and what that actually, the purpose of it, the reason that we start pulling apart. And they started with Christmas years ago. Uh, You know, then they start looking at other uh, events. And it's not right we have Christmas holiday. We have to have holiday holidays, you know. And then they go after Thanksgiving. Every year, don't we hear that now? It's no longer about being thankful and the season of gratitude and being thankful for the friends, the family. The, the things that you have. It's about the country is bad. It was oppressors who came here. They killed people. They murdered people. And that's what it's all about. It's being thankful for, for killing the indigenous people. Well, that's not what it's about. You can certainly twist it that way. So we have to break this down and say, did bad things happen when the uh, the Europeans conquered the Americans that were here, the Native Americans, because they were here, right? But they came from somewhere else too, right? Everybody comes from somewhere. Did they do bad things? They did. Was that the reality of the time? Is that how people dealt with each other? You conquered people, you took them over, you took their stuff, you took their valuables, you took their women and children. You enslaved people. And then another group rose up and took you out and enslaved you and took your valuables. This is part of the struggle of humanity, of being human, and interacting with other humans. I'm not saying it's good; it's certainly not good, and it wasn't good for the indigenous people. Now, I've told you before that I actually have uh, some American Native American blood in my system. Uh, my I'm trying to let's see, my grandmother, my grandmother on my mother's side was Hazel. Her grandmother, my mother's grandmother, was Rosewater. That was her name, Rosewater, and I believe they were um, American uh, Native Americans from uh, Connecticut. And when I looked them up, I think my son Joe looked them up to figure out which which groups we were from. And I think it's part of the the Mohawks, and it was the Blackfeet tribe. Uh, and so I i trying to figure out if my my great grandmother was 100 percent Native American. That made my grandmother 50 percent which made my mother 25%, and that would make me, what's that, 12 and a half percent? 12 and a half percent Native American. And that's a beautiful, wonderful thing. I'm, I'm happy to have that heritage. Now, I'm sure it's less than that. I'm just, I'm doing a rudimentary breakdown, you know, by generations. Um, but I, I still, I have that in my system. When I look back on what happened with the Native Americans, I find it to be frightening and horrifying uh, the way they were treated, the, the march of the Cherokee across the, out, out of the, their, their lands that they had, the Trail of Tears. This is hideous treatment of human beings, there's no doubt about it. But this is what people did at that time and, and I have a hard time looking at things today and comparing things to the past and saying, well, what we know today, what we understand today, uh, we have to look back at that with that with that kind of lens on. And that's that's not correct. I don't think that's intellectually honest. Doesn't make what people did oppressors across the globe uh, for all human, human history have done. Doesn't make any of it right. It makes that's how it was. Now we never talk about the Native American tribes, how they attacked each other how they took each other over, slaughtered each other, took their valuables, their women and children, and and converted them to their own uh, groups. That happened too. Why? Because that is how human beings interact with other human beings. It goes on today to this very day. Look at the streets of our major cities. Somebody wants something, they go and smack you over the head with a brick and take it. Right? This, it, this, this violence against other people has been going on forever, because that's part of the nature of humanity. Now, in this modern world, what we are trying to do is by the more people that are educated, the more that we learn, the more that we listen, the more that we look back, the more that we try to put into perspective, the more we can learn and move forward, away from our sins of the past, right? And that's really the idea. So when I I look at this attack on our traditions, because they're trying to break us away from the things that buffer us from the government. And I'm not one of these, you know, oh, the communists are under every pillow. But the reality is they are out there and we see what, the, what, what they try and do. We saw it with the pandemic. Our friends on the left, they got drunk with power telling you what to do and what not to do. Uh, they changed our free speech. They corrupted our our medical because you only had one thing you were allowed to believe about the pandemic and the vaccines and the COVID. There's only one thing to believe. And if you didn't, we're going to silence you, right? We're going to silence you. So I'm not afraid of ugly words. I'm afraid of forced silence because that only leads to servitude and that leads to a tyrannical world. So when I look at this, we, we have to say no. Now, we saw how many companies jumped right on the bandwagon with, uh, we're going to go happy holidays, telling their employees, you will not say Merry Christmas. You will not say it. You will say happy holidays because that includes everyone. And I say, including everyone is a good idea. There are lots of holidays around the same time of year. Well, instead of um, blanketing everyone and moshing everyone together, why don't we celebrate each other's uh, differences. That's what they say, right? Celebrate the differences. Well, I'm all about that. Let's talk about Hanukkah. Let's talk about Kwanzaa. Let's talk about these different holidays. Uh, Ramadan. Let's find what they are. What's the beauty in everyone's holidays? And instead of saying, you can't say Christmas, how about say, we say Merry Christmas at Christmas time? We say Happy Hanukkah. Happy Kwanzaa. And what, what, is it Happy Ramadan? I don't know. What's the appropriate phrase? That's becoming new to our culture here in America. And that's fine. You can add things to our culture. And I think learning about different people's heritages, uh, how they lived, their family traditions, that is what makes us better, right? Pretending that, well, because the majority does Christmas, we can't do it. the, The majority is not hurting anybody. Christmas, Thanksgiving, All of these kind of holidays that have a a backdrop in them of being grateful and being faithful and understanding that there's more to the world than just us, makes for a nicer, more loving place. Doesn't Christmas, right, what do they say all the time? It gets quieter. People are nicer. They say hi to each other. Why? That is a direct um, response to the holiday. And the holiday is about being loving and caring. It's not about excluding people because you're not a Christian. You don't believe in Jesus. You can't have it. Everyone can have it. You know, what, what, are, what are the values of Hanukkah? What are the values of Kwanzaa? What are the values of Ramadan and the other uh, religions that have holidays? There's values in there for all of us that we can all understand and appreciate and value, and we can say it to each other right? But removing that is part of getting rid of all those things from your life, no matter who you are, so that you don't have that. That's why communist countries take away your religion. They also take away your guns pretty quick, don't they? So you can't fight back, right? So when I, when I see this, this ongoing attack, this rise, uh, this Khrushchev at the podium banging his shoe saying, we will destroy you that hasn't ended just because we think we're beyond it because we don't want to see it it's real and the attack on our traditions is a uh, visible obvious thing that's going on to do that so I, I I think I exhausted that that topic for now but these are these are the two things that that came to my mind over the weekend you know the star stuff in God and our attack on our holidays and we need, to, we need to go beyond that. We need to, to heal from that if we're, if we're really to move forward. You know, why would people not want you to move forward and kind of deal with the reality of the bad things that happened in the past, put them in perspective for when they took place, look at us now and see, look how we've grown since then, but we don't have to go back and destroy all the traditions, we don't have to go back and destroy the traditions. Another thing that we're seeing happening, and I have to say that these are more progressive groups that are doing this, what's this now with going up to, uh, to, to major artworks and throwing uh, oils and paint and all kinds of other materials on these classic works of art? Now, when I talk about art, you know, art is in the eye of the beholder. I think that's true, because somebody can look at a painting and not see anything, and someone else can be sitting, look at it, and be fascinated by it, right, or you can see a sculpture or, or something like that, and it, it, a piece of art that somebody makes out of two pieces of metal and, and whatever can be fascinating, because what it does, art, the expression of art and the observation of art is related directly to our higher intelligence, right? What what is it, Maslow? You have to cover your your basic needs, food, shelter, security. Those are the things. And when we live in a world when you have to fight every day for your food, your shelter, and your security, there's not a lot of time for higher other end thoughts. You can't really sit around and contemplate the beauty of a picture uh, if you're busy fighting to eat, if you're busy fighting for your shelter and, and for security. So art really taps into our humanity in that the appreciation of art, whatever it is. And some people might like, you know, the crafts that people put out in front of their house. Uh, they think that's art, that's great. Or you might see the great masters uh, of painting. One of my favorites, one of my favorite things of all that I just, I can marvel at over and over in a picture, uh, it doesn't matter, uh, and I can't wait to go see it in real life, is the Pieta. The Pieta, which is uh, is Mother Mary with uh, Jesus in her lap after he has died and taken from the cross. That is so expressive. It is so beautiful. And for me, it takes me on a journey. I sit and I contemplate the lines. I look at it. I feel it. It tells me stories. I, I, I think about things. So that's what art does. When you look at the great works of art that we consider, you know, great works of art, these these masterpieces, these connect us to those to those people. And these geniuses of humanity that lived among us, because we're, we're all family, doesn't matter where you're from, your race, your creed, your color, we're all part of that big family of humanity, and seeing art, whether it's tribal art, whether it's seeing art from uh, other parts of the world that are not considered, you know, the French Renaissance painters, but all art, all expression, cave paintings. These were other human beings expressing their world around them through the paintings and drawings and, and all these things that we do. And it does tap into our, our higher intellect, which I'm gonna bring it back to it again, that higher intellect is part of the universe, is part of what it is, and I think that's part of being the image and likeness of God. And that's why this stuff is so important. So we like to have um, we like to have that on our minds when we talk about uh, how we can make the world a better place. So throwing, throwing and damaging art, what's, what's the reason for that? Well, they're protesting, and because you think this is valuable, and I think this progressive point of view is valuable, and since you won't do my thing, I'll destroy your thing. Now, where's the violence there? Where's the violence there? Who's doing violence? there, right? Because you believe that everyone should wear, um, orange sneakers and stand on their head for an hour a day. And if you don't do that, you're a hater. If you don't believe that that's the right way to live, you're wrong, 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 wrong. And I say, well, I think you should wear, uh, you know, uh, red sneakers and I think you should, uh, walk backwards. That's the appropriate way. But if you want to wear orange and stand on your head, go ahead and do it. I'm going to do this. If you don't do it my way, then you're a hater and we'll destroy something you think about. Who, who's who's violent there? So recently I saw a, a woman, she's a, a professor, I think, in Rhode Island, and she came out and said that words are weapons, and you saying things that hurt people's feelings should be handled criminally. Think about that. Where is the violence there? She says it's violence. Words are violence and therefore should be treated accordingly, like an assault, like me bashing somebody in the head with a hammer is the same as me saying something that somebody finds offensive. That's ridiculous on its face value. But what does that control? If we accept that premise that these words are violence, and I don't mean threatening to kill somebody, I mean saying something that offends them, that you don't like something about them or something, hurtful and painful, shouldn't do it. But people do it you have a right to say it you have a different political point of view you think saving a baby is more important than killing a baby oh my god who are you you're trying to ruin my life you're trying to take over nobody's trying to take over your life just expressing an opinion a thought so who is violent there you want and what's what's the result of that is my point if we go with that premise that words are violence that should be treated like violence first of all who decides what words are violent and what words are not what if i think your opinion about the words is violence to me. Does it work that way? That you say a thing like that, that offends me because I believe in free speech. I believe in it. And when you say it's violence and it that is supposed to shut down free speech. That's supposed to control what you say. And ultimately it's to control what you think. Do you get it? That's where this is going to. That's where this is going to. So attacking our art, is a lot like attacking our traditions it is to cause a problem it is to disrupt our lives for the way someone else wants to live now isn't that exactly what many people have said for you you want to control my life i don't want to control your life you control your own life uh but don't try and control mine so attacking art and attacking uh our traditions is really has the same purpose for the same thing it is it is a it is a way to separate us from the things that we believe. Now, if you get rid of all of these beautiful pieces of art that people love, you take something away from them. You know, it, it, you remove something from them. And that is that is done for a reason, to empty you out, to hollow you out so you fill it with something else. If i take away your god and your religion, you're going to still have a need for those things because that's how we're built. But you're going to fill it with something else. And what is that something else? It's the state. It's government. It's someone else's thoughts and desires that they demand that you do. And that's why all of this is dangerous. Tolerance is not about agreeing with you. Tolerance is that we are all allowed to do and say what we want. And then we can pick and choose what we listen to and what we engage in. But we all get to say it. That's being tolerant. I don't attack you for your belief. I don't attack you for your lifestyle. I just say, well, I guess that's different than mine, and we move on. Can we learn something from each other? You know, more love is better than less love. That's a good idea. So let's love each other more. That's the idea. And and I think, is this sustainable, this constant attack on everything? Is it sustainable? I don't know that it is, but um, we're going to find out, I guess. We're going to find out as time goes by how sustainable or not sustainable this really is because we can't stop. Well, that's, that's, I guess, my philosophical um, part of our episode today that I'm glad we got a chance to get together and talk about. Now, one of the things, uh, I, I started getting a cold the other day. That's right. I started feeling uh, a cold coming on. You know, you kind of get that cough in your chest and, <coughs> oh, oh, I think I'm going to get sick here. Something's going on. And because I've been taking the healthy cell, um, the immune boost, And I take it every day because I've been taking that. I went to bed concerned I was going to wake up the next day and have this nasty cold because that's usually what happens in the winter. To fall, You see people getting, you know, the flu flu is back. Oh, my God, the flu is back. Um, Because I thought that was going to happen to me. I was really concerned. Well, I woke up the next day and the symptoms had mitigated. It was almost like at the beginning of a cold instead of the progression of the cold. And by the end of the day, it was gone. Now, that has happened repeatedly to me in the past couple of years that I've been taking the healthy cell. So I'm telling you, I I suggest you give it a try. It's on the network here. You can find it. It's really uh, very healthy for me. So I like it. And uh, I'm attributing this reversal of my cold to my immune system being strong. And it's being strong because it was boosted up by, you know, healthy cell. So there you go. I'm telling you about it. Now, one of the things we're seeing recently. As this is the justice part of chasing justice, we're seeing some horrific homicides take place in our country, in different places. Now, murder has been with us uh, as a species, as a humanity, since there's been humanity, right? Didn't, didn't people kill each other back in the day to take their stuff? Uh, so if we think we're so different from, from back in the day, then we're wrong, this is part of the human condition, this, these, these emotions that we have that often guide us. So when I teach young people um, how to conduct investigations, especially into something like a, like a homicide, uh, one of the things you have to look at is what is the motivation? Why did somebody get so far to the point that they killed someone? Well, it is usually based on some type of an emotion. So when we think about our emotions, Let's think of the good ones. What are the good ones? Um, Love, kindness, happiness, joy, uh, fulfillment, satisfaction. These are all good feelings that we have. When we have those kind of feelings, we hardly ever strike out and hit somebody in the head with a hammer. When we feel the other emotions, the negative emotions, those are the ones that can motivate us to do bad things. Jealousy, greed, anger, hatred. Those kind of negative emotions push us into uh, actions that can be deadly. So when we look at these, these very high profile homicides that are taking place, uh, when I break it down, I break down into needs-based crimes and then um, drive-based crimes. So when you look at what's the difference between the two? Well, a need-based crime could be somebody who commits burglaries because they need stuff. They need money. They need uh, drugs. They need whatever it is that they need. And they say, hey, well, I can't get it any other way. I'm going to go take it. They could easily choose not to. And they could be persuaded off that path uh, if there were some interventions or whatever. But it, it, it's a need-based crime. It's a choice. And then there are the drive-based crimes. Drive-based crimes are different in the, that they're, they're part of our built-up. Just like homicide has been with us since we've been a species. We kill each other, whether in large groups or as individuals. So a drive-based crime, uh, probably the easiest one to understand, is the sex drive. Now, we all have a different sex drive. We all have a different desire. We all have different parts of our life. It changes. some, Some of our drive is based on hormones and our body chemicals. But we all have a drive. The ultimate drive of sex is to reproduce humanity. That's where it comes from. That's why it's built into us, right? It's part of our DNA to reproduce that is why there are pleasure points in our genitals so that it feels good when we get involved in sexual activity so that we have sex and have more people but because it's a drive you know often we look at people who are sex predators uh, they can be arrested they can go to jail they come out and they reoffend, right how come because it is a drive they can't overcome so when we look at that these murders that are going on we say is it a w- was it done as a need-based crime was it done as a drive crime Uh, What are the other factors involved? The scene can tell us a lot as well. You know, they're talking about, uh, you know, when it comes to uh, shootings versus stabbings versus bludgeonings, all these different things uh, are brought to us by different uh, drives and activities. Uh, Stabbing someone with a knife is a very personal, visceral kind of an attack. So sometimes people get into a fight and they carry a knife for protection and they stick the other person with it and it hits an artery and they bleed out and that person dies. It happens. Uh, The intent there was, you know, the fight to win the fight or to protect yourself and somebody died. When you see multiple stabs, multiple stabs, that is often indicative of a relationship or a uh, emotional uh, connection. And that's what I want to get into a little bit more about. You know, exactly what is that emotional connection? So one of the things that I do is, is I, try and, uh, I try and write and I teach uh, as we're talking here. And the next book I have coming out uh, is going to be called The Investigation. And basically, it is a how-to, soup to nuts, uh, understanding of how to conduct an investigation. Now, we're trying this in a brand new way. All right. Most police books that you see that are training manuals are very uh, you know to the point. They're black and white. Here's this. Here's how you do this. Here's this. Here's how you do that. And that's good, but it certainly doesn't give you the awesome background that you sometimes need because you, it's easier to read and learn when something's interesting, not just informational. So the investigation is going to follow a very brutal double homicide that I investigated, and that's going to be the backdrop for the learning. So basically, I start to tell the story like a novel. Here's this person, here's these people, uh, and here's what started to transpire. And then I talk about this double murder. And then I'll say, okay, let's stop the story right there where the murders took place. Now let's go back, and now that we know how the murderer got there, what the murderer did before that, Let's go back and see where would we find that evidence? You know, where would we look for uh, tracking evidence? Where would we look for cell phone evidence? Where would we look for possession or purchasing of the weapons? That kind of thing. Then I jump back into the story and I tell more of the story. Uh, We get to the point of uh, the the scene and what he did in the scene and how he manipulated the, the victims and all that. I say, okay, let's stop now. Now you're the crime investigator. Let's go back to the scene what you know now, and here's where you look for evidence. So it's, it's a really interesting way of teaching and learning. It's called The Investigation. It'll be out, uh, I think, February, maybe March. The publisher is Blue360 Media, uh, blue360media.com. You can go there. You can find my book, The Interview, which is another uh, interesting read on how to conduct proper criminal interviews, right? You can get it on Amazon. You can get it from the publisher. But it's called The Interview by Lieutenant Joe. And when I talk about, you know, the the psychological things here, so we were saying that, you know, this visceral stabbing, these multiple stabbings of someone, that is uh, as strange as it might sound. But a knife can be used as a phallic instrument. And we know that sex assault is not really about sex. It's about power over the other person. And how how can you have more power over that person than to violate them physically, to enter their body against their will? Right. You have total control over them when you do that. So this stabbing is uh, when it's multiple stabbings can be the same kind of thing. There's anger. There could be rage. There could be all kinds of things. And that stabbing is power. Uh, and, and it's related to, to that idea of this sex drive, right, to control, to power, things you can't stop. So that's really uh, when I see these crimes that are out there right now in, in the public uh, every day. We see these different people, how they use different methodologies to commit their crimes. We see a lot of people shooting people. Shooting is an is a impersonal kind of way because the person can be farther away from you when you shoot them. You're not actually on top of them. You're not, you know, breathing the same air as you're stabbing them. That is an unbelievably um, personal way of, of killing someone using a knife. But then we have people that use vehicles, right? Don't we have people that run through parades and run people down? So there's all kinds of things going on out there. And, and I just wanted to touch base on, on some of these things as we get together here on Chasing Justice. Because that is also part of what we do. We like to look at these things and learn as a group. So listen, we will see you soon. We'll be, we'll be back soon. Everybody uh, enjoy their lives. Love each other. Uh, think about what we said today and come up with your own thoughts and ideas. Remember, be a part of the solution, not a part of the problem. This is Lieutenant Joe for Chasing Justice here on the America Out Loud Radio Network.